Chapter Four of Woodcraft by Nesmuk. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Campfires and their importance: the wasteful wrong way they are usually made, and the right way to make them. Hardly second in importance to a warm, dry camp is the campfire. In point of fact, the warmth, dryness, and healthfulness of a forest camp are mainly dependent on the way the fire is managed and kept up. No asthmatic or consumptive patient ever regained health by dwelling in a closed, damp tent. I once camped for a week in a wall tent, with a Philadelphia party and in cold weather. We had a little sheet-iron fiend called the camp stove. When well fed with bark, knots, and chips, it would get red-hot and heaven knows give out heat enough. By the time we were sound asleep it would subside and we would presently awake with chattering teeth to kindle her up again, take a smoke and a nip, turn in for another nap, to awaken again half-frozen. It was a poor substitute for the open camp and bright fire. An experience of fifty years convinces me that a large percentage of the benefit obtained by invalids from camp life is attributable to the open camp and well-managed campfire and the latter is usually handled in a way that is too sad, too wasteful, in short, badly botched. For instance, it happened in the summer of 81 that I was making a canoe trip in the northern wilderness, and as Raquette Lake is the largest and about the most interesting lake in the north woods, I spent about a week paddling, fishing, etc. I made my headquarters at Ed Bennett's Woodland Hostelry, under the hemlocks. As the hotel was filled with men, women, and crying children, bitten to agony by punkies and mosquitoes, I chose to spread my blanket in a well-made bark shanty, which a signboard in black and white said was the guide's camp. And this camp was a very popular institution. Here it was that every evening, when the night had settled down on forest and lake, the guests of the hotel would gather to lounge on the bed of fresh balsam brows, chat, sing, and enjoy the huge campfire. No woodland hotel will long remain popular that does not keep up a bright, cheery, out-of-door fire. And the fun of it, to an old woodsman, is in noting how, like a lot of schoolchildren, they all act about the fire. Ed Bennett had a man, a Northwoods trapper in his employ, whose chief business was to furnish plenty of wood for the guide's camp and start a good fire every evening by sundown. As it grew dark and the blaze shone high and bright, the guests would begin to straggle in, and every man, woman, and child seemed to view it as a religious duty to pause by the fire and add a stick or two before passing into camp. The wood was thrown on endwise, crosswise, or any way, so that it would burn, precisely as a crowd of boys making a bonfire on the village green, the object being, apparently, to get rid of the wood in the shortest possible time. When the fire burnt low toward midnight, the guests would saunter off to the hotel, and the guides, who had been waiting impatiently, would organize what was left of the fire, roll themselves in their blankets, and turn in. I suggested to the trapper that he and I make one fire as it should be, and maybe they would follow suit, which would save half the fuel with a better fire. But he said, no, they like to build bonfires, and Ed could stand the wood, because it's best to let them have their own way. Time seems to hang heavy on their hands, and they pay well summer boarders tourists and sportsmen are not the only men who know how to build a campfire all wrong when i first came to northern pennsylvania thirty-five years ago i found game fairly abundant and as i wanted to learn the country where deer most abounded i naturally cottoned to the local hunters good fellows enough and conceited as all local hunters and anglers are apt to be strong good hunters and axemen to the manner born and prone to look on any outsider as a tenderfoot 
their mode of building campfires was a constant vexation to me they made it a point to always have a heavy sharp axe in camp and toward night some sturdy chopper would cut eight or ten logs as heavy as the whole party could lug into camp with handspikes the size of the logs was proportioned to the muscular force in camp if there was a party of six or eight the logs would be twice as heavy as when we were three or four just at dark there would be a log heap built in front of the camp well chinked with bark knots and small sticks and for the next two hours one could hardly get at the fire to light a pipe but the fire was sure though slow by ten or eleven p m it would work its way to the front and the camp would be warm and light the party would turn in and deep sleep would fall on a lot of tired hunters for two or three hours by which time some fellow near the middle was sure to throw his blanket off with a spiteful jerk and dash out of camp with holy moses i can't stand this it's an oven another snorer partially waking can't you deaden the fire a little first speaker deaden hell if you want the fire deadened get up and throw off some of these logs another in the coldest corner of the shanty what's the matter with a you fellows better dig out and cool off in the snow shanty's comfortable enough his minority report goes unheeded the camp is roasted out strong hands and handspikes pry a couple of glowing logs from the front and replace them with two cold green logs the camp cools off and the party takes to blankets once more to turn out again at five a m and inaugurate breakfast the fire is not in favorable shape for culinary operations the heat is mainly on the back side just where it isn't wanted the few places level enough to set a pot or pan are too hot and in short where there is any fire there is too much one man sees with intense disgust the nozzle of his coffee pot drop into the fire he makes a rash grab to save his coffee and gets away with the handle which hangs on just enough to upset the pot old al who is frying a slice of pork over a bed of coals that would melt a gun barrel starts a hoarse laugh this is cut short by a blue flash and an explosion of pork fat which nearly blinds him the writer taking in these mishaps in the very spirit of fun and frolic is suddenly sobered and silenced by seeing his venison steak drop from the end of the frizzling stick and disappear between two glowing logs the party manages however to get off on the hunt at daylight with full stomachs and perhaps the hearty fun and laughter more than compensated for these little mishaps this is a digression but i am led to it by the recollection of many nights spent in camps and around campfires pretty much as described above i can smile today at the remembrance of the calm superior way in which the old hunters of that day would look down on me as from the upper branches of a tall hemlock when i ventured to suggest that a better fire could be made with half the fuel and less than half the labor they would kindly remark oh you are a boston boy you are used to paying eight dollars a cord for wood we have no call to save wood here we can afford to burn it by the acre which was more true than logical most of these men had commenced life with a stern declaration of war against the forest and although the men usually won at last the battle was a long and hard one small wonder that they came to look upon a forest tree as a natural enemy the campfire question came to a crisis however with two or three of these old settlers and as the story well illustrates my point i will venture to tell it it was in the dark days before christmas that a party of four started from w bound for a camp on second fork in the deepest part of the wilderness that lies between wellsboro and the blockhouse the party consisted of sile j 
old al eli j and the writer the first two were gray-haired men the others past thirty all the same they called us boys the weather was not inviting and there was small danger of our camp being invaded by summer outers or tenderfeet it cost twelve miles of hard travel to reach that camp and though we started at daylight it was past noon when we arrived the first seven miles could be made on wheels the balance by hard tramping the road was execrable no one cared to ride but it was necessary to have our loads carried as far as possible the clearings looked dreary enough and the woods forbidding to a degree but our old camp was the picture of desolation there was six inches of damp snow on the leafless brush roof the blackened brands of our last fire were sticking their charred ends out of the snow the hemlocks were bending sadly under their loads of wet snow and the entire surroundings had a cold cheerless slushy look very little like the ideal hunter's camp we placed our knapsacks in the shanty eli got out his nail hatchet i drew my little pocket axe and we proceeded to start a fire while the two older men went upstream a few rods to unearth a full-grown axe and a bottle of old rye which they had cached under a log three months before they never fooled with pocket axes they were gone so long that we sauntered up the band thinking it might be the rye that detained them we found them with their coats off working like beavers each with a stout sharpened stick there had been an october freshet and a flood jam at the bend had sent the mad stream over its banks washing the log out of position and piling a gravel bar two feet deep over the spot where the axe and flask should have been about the only thing left to do was cut a couple of stout sticks organize a mining company limited and go in which they did sile was drifting into the side of the sandbar savagely trying to strike the axe helve and old al was sinking numberless miniature shafts from the surface in a vain attempt to strike whiskey the company failed in about half an hour sile resumed his coat and sat down on a log which was one of his best holds by the way he looked at al al looked at him they both looked at us and sile remarked that if one of the boys wanted to go out to the clearings and borry an axe and come back in the morning he thought the others could pick up wood enough to tough it out one night of course nobody could stay in an open winter camp without an axe it was my time to come to the front i said you two just go at the camp clean the snow off and slick up the inside put my shelter cloth with eli's and cover the roof with them and if you don't have just as good a fire tonight as you've ever had you can tie me to a beach and leave me here come on eli and eli did come on and this is how we did it first we felled a thrifty butternut tree ten inches in diameter cut off three lengths at five feet each and carried them to camp these were the back logs two stout stakes were driven at the back of the fire and the logs on top of each other were laid firmly against the stakes the latter were slanted a little back and the largest log placed at the bottom the smallest on top to prevent tipping forward a couple of short thick sticks were laid with the ends against the bottom log by way of fire dogs a four stick five feet long and five inches in diameter a well-built pyramid of bark knots and small logs completed the campfire which sent a pleasant glow of warmth and heat to the furthest corner of the shanty for night wood we cut a dozen birch and ash poles from four to six inches across trimmed them to the tips and dragged them to camp then we denuded a dry hemlock of its bark and by eight of ten-foot poles flattened at one end packed the bark to camp we had a bright cheery fire from the early evening until morning and four tired hunters never slept more soundly we stayed in that camp a week and though the weather was rough and cold the little pocket axes kept us well in firewood 
we selected butternut for back logs because when green it burns very slowly and lasts a long time and we dragged our smaller wood to camp in lengths of twenty to thirty feet because it was easier to lay them on the fire and burn them in two than cut them shorter with light hatchets with a heavy axe we should have cut them to lengths of five or six feet our luck i may mention was good as good as we desired not that four smallish deer are anything to brag about for a week's hunt by four men and two dogs i have known a pot hunter to kill nine in a single day but we had enough as it was we were obliged to double trip it in order to get our deer and duffel down to babs and we gave away more than half our venison for the rest the illustration shows the campfire all but the fire as it should be made End of chapter 4